In this Sound Theology Bite, we're going to get back to basics. In this next few minutes, we're going to talk about God, the doctrine of God, foundational to everything else in Christian theology. And we are going to take a little bit of time to discuss some important aspects of who God is. Really, we can't understand anything else in Christian theology until we understand who God is. So first, we want to say that God is the creator. This distinguishes Christianity from other religions that incorporate pantheism or panentheism. We believe, based on Scripture, that God created all things ex nihilo, out of nothing. That means that there is a clear distinction between God and his creation. It's not a spectrum or tier of being. God is completely other than his creation. He is distinct from it. He is transcendent over it. He is not like it. He is a different being altogether. So there is a a distinction between God and his creation. He is the creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a remarkable statement, and that tells us some vital things about God and about his creation. There is a clear line of demarcation that cannot be crossed. Uh, There is a creator, and there is the creature, and they are not the same. We may, and we'll see in a a little bit, and even in a later episode as we discuss man or we discuss a theological anthropology, we'll find out that man does reflect God in some ways, but he is not God, and he never will attain to be God, as some religions teach. Now, what we want to begin with is we want to begin with this idea of God as creator, but we also want to talk about God as Trinity. This is another important distinction of Christianity. The Bible teaches that God is not only one. The Bible is very clear about that. You'll see that in Israel's history, God over and over telling them, reminding them, proclaiming to them that there is only one God. He is one, and there is no other. There are no other gods. There's just these beautiful series of declarations in the book of Isaiah, for example, chapters 40 through 48. I encourage you to just read those chapters one one day when you have the time, and just notice how many times that God declares that He is one. There's only one God, and there is no other. He's comparing Himself to all the gods of the other nations, and He's saying there is no other God. There's only one God. God also declared through Moses, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. This was central to Israel's identity. They worshiped the one true God, and there was only one God. There were not multiplic- a multiplicity of gods. There was only one, and his name was Yahweh, and he was the God of Israel. He was the God of creation. He was the God of the universe, and he had graciously revealed himself to Israel. But what you find as you traverse through the Old Testament, you actually find hints that there is not multiple gods, but a multiplicity in the one God. This is remarkable. Even in the very first chapter of the Bible, you see God when he is talking about creating man in his own image. There's actually plurality. He's discussing this with himself. Let us create man in our own image. You see this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and following. Let us, let us. There's a conversation within God. And then as you make your way through the remaining portions of the Old Testament and redemptive history, you see things kind of here and there, hints that there, there's, there's more. There's a, there's a son. There's who, who is the Lord and who is his son. And then you, that's in Proverbs 30. And then you see in Psalm 2, this discussion of this son who, who has the attributes of and, and, and actually receives the same worship as Yahweh. Who is this son? He's, he's more than a mere man. He's, he's more than a mere king. He is, he is God's very son. And so you see throughout the Old Testament um, some, some multiplicity within the one God. It's not until you turn to the New Testament, however, that this idea of God being Trinity, this teaching of God being Trinity, 
is made abundantly clear. And let me just define Trinity here for a moment so we know what we're talking about. When we use the word Trinity, what we mean, what the church has historically meant, is that you have the one being or essence of God. And within that one essence, there are three persons who share that one divine essence so that each person is equally God. Each member of that triune uh, God are equal to each other. The Father is equal to the Son. The Son is equal to the Father in all ways. The, the Spirit is equal to the Son and to the Father in terms of glory, eternality, being, uh, self-existence, and so on. They are all three equal to each other. When you come to the New Testament, these things are made remarkably clear. For example, you see that the Son, for uh, in John chapter 1, verse 1, the Son is referred to as God. He's distinguished from the Father, but he is referred to as God. For example, in the beginning was the Word, this is John chapter 1, verse 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, the distinction is made between the Father and the Son, but nevertheless, there is a clear declaration that this Son is equal to the Father in terms of his deity, in terms of his divinity, in terms of his being. He is equal to the Father. He has existed from all eternity. He never had a beginning. He was not created. He is eternal. He is infinite. And then, verse 14 of John chapter 1, remarkable, wonders of wonders, the Word became flesh. So this infinite divine Son, the infinite God becomes man. He takes on a genuine human nature. Meanwhile, you have these Jewish authors like John himself and Paul writing about this glorious Christ while at the same time operating within a a monotheistic framework, which simply means they believe that there was one God. How do we understand this Christ within this one God? And they had no problem speaking of Jesus in uh, exalted ways, describing him in ways that made him equal to the Father in every way, oftentimes calling him the Lord Jesus Christ, and then calling uh, God the Father, God the Father. They refer to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see elsewhere in the New Testament, like in Colossians, for example, that he is This is the Son now, speaking of the Son. He is the image of the invisible God, not made in God's image, but the actual image of God, the preeminent one or the firstborn over all creation. That word firstborn there does not mean the first created. It means the preeminent one over creation. You could say the king over all creation, and we know that's what it means because the following uh, text right after that uh, statement says that it says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for all in him all things were created. The reason why he's the preeminent one over all creation is because he created everything. And so here you have this developing, what you might say, doctrine of the Trinity, this revealing of more and more about who God is. He is one, but now there are, there are two persons in this one divine being. The, the persons are distinct, but the, the, the essence, the nature, that's what the church has historically said, the essence or nature of these persons within the, the, this trinity or this triune uh, being, the, the essence, they are sharing in the same divine essence so that they are both equal in their glory and their, their deity and their divinity and, and all their various attributes. Well, the Father and the Son are clearly equal, and, and that's made clear in the New Testament, but you also have a third member, and that's hence the, the use of the word trinity. You have a third member who is described in uh, remarkable ways. You have a third person who is described uh, with the attributes of God, who has the power of God, the authority of God. He knows 
God perfectly. And so this is an, uh, a remarkable passage in First in Corinthians 2. I love this passage that, that the Spirit knows he's able to comprehend all the thoughts of God. And, he, and, and Paul says that the Spirit comprehends all the thoughts of God. And if you, have a, if you have someone who's able to comprehend or know all the thoughts of God, all the infinite thoughts of God, well, what would that being be? Well, that being would be God. And so here the, in the New Testament, you have the Spirit talked about in a way that demonstrates that He is equal to the Father and to the Son in terms of His deity, in terms of His divinity, in terms of all of His attributes, His holiness, His glory, His self-sufficiency, His eternality, His infinity. You also have another important text regarding the Holy Spirit and His equality to God in Acts chapter 5. Here in Acts chapter 5, the scenario is that there are people giving money to the apostles to use for the church, to, to help people in the church. And there's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they come and they lay some money before the apostles' feet. And, and apparently they're caught in a lie here. They, they didn't have to, to, to give the money to the apostles. It was, it was free to do what, what they wanted to do. But it seems as though what they did was is they made it appear as though they had sold the land for a certain amount and then said that they uh, they had actually kept back some of those proceeds and then made it sound like they only sold it for that amount so that it looked like they were they had sold it and given all it away to the apostles but actually they had kept back some so that's the scenario and peter says this he says ananias why has satan filled your heart to lie to the holy spirit to keep back a part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold did it not remain your own and after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why, has, why, uh, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. See, what Peter is doing here is he's saying that to lie to the Holy Spirit is to lie to God. Why is that? Well, because the Spirit is, in fact, God. He's the one that we saw in 1 Corinthians 2. He's the one who comprehends all the thoughts of God. He has infinite knowledge of God himself. Therefore, he is God. He's not God the Father. He's not God the Son. But he is equal to the Father and the Son in terms of his deity. Now, what we have to say about the Trinity, and this is where we will wrap up, is the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, understood historically, teaches that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons always existing for all eternity. There's a heresy called modalism, embraced by even some professing Christians today, that teaches that God is one, and that these persons are simply different masks, you might say, that God wears in different portions of redemptive history. In the Old Testament, you could say he is God the Father. In the early New Testament, he is God the Son. And now in the church age, he is God the Holy Spirit. That is a heresy that the church has rejected over and over and over because it's not what the New Testament teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. The, the historic biblical doctrine of the Trinity is this. There is one God. There is only one God. In terms of divinity or deity, there is only one being or essence, you might say, of God. Within that one divine essence, you have three persons, three members of that trinity, each one is distinct, but each one fully shares in the divine nature so that each one is fully self-sufficient, dependent on no other being for their existence, eternal, infinite, glorious, and equal to each other in all their attributes. That is the doctrine of the trinity. That is a clear distinctive of Christianity and one that is quite beautiful 
quite remarkable and one that we should proclaim as we proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to our friends, our families, and our colleagues.